Welcome to this week's edition of In the Studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepard. I always say that, you know, same words open every show. Not very creative, I guess. It works, Wayne. It works. (laughs) Okay, you're good. Well, the fun thing is we have quite a show laid out here. We do. We do. A lot of fun with this program. We're going to return to your Biblical Imagination Conference, your teaching that was recorded on location. Mm -hmm. And uh, remind us where we're headed today. Well, we're going to talk about uh, Jeremiah and uh, how do you... um, how do you respond when it seems that that God's become your enemy? Okay. And uh, then we're also going to talk to one of my favorite people uh, from up in uh, Merrimack, New Hampshire, uh, Eric DeVitro, who is, uh, he's been a friend for a long time, but uh, he is one of, kind of a paradigm uh, pastor for me. Uh, he is uh, uh, a, a biblical scholar. He's very gifted in terms of music. He plays a guitar. He uh uh, but he gives leadership to uh, a smaller sized church, mm-hmm. which uh, I think is ideal. Yeah, and he'll be very he'll be he'll, he'll be great. Well, you know him. I've not met him yet, You'll so love we'll get acquainted here in just yes. a moment when yes. he joins us. Let me take you back though to what's happening the second half today, the uh, Lament Conference. Uh, here's a little clip of what's ahead coming up. What do you do when the Babylonians, who are the bad guys, God seems to be using them against you? When the city that God has promised will last forever gets destroyed, what are you, what are you going to do? What do you do? You continue that difficult conversation with God by lament. You say to God what needs to be said. It may not be right, but it needs to be said. You'll hear more of that from Michael coming up in a few moments here on our podcast this week. Let me ask you, though, Michael, why lament? It seems, is it in step or out of step with our times now? Well, I, uh, that's 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 a hard question uh, because, in one sense, our, our our time has never been more lamentable. There's never been more to lament, and when I say lament, you're not just complaining to God. You're 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 lifting up your confusion, uh, your uh, your anger, your sorrow. You lift these things up to God as an act of worship. You're giving Him these things. Lament is is a form of worship. Ultimately, trusting Him. Absolutely. And, and, but as the clip said, but continuing this difficult conversation, you know, I've, you know, cancer, a spouse has left, a child is, you know, sick or whatever. And, and uh, you, you know, you have two choices. You know, uh, I'm not going to continue the conversation. I'm going to leave, leave the, the dance floor, you know, before the music stops. Mm-hmm. Or I'm going to, I'm going to do what, uh, Particular David does so often in the Psalms, and that is he's going to lift up his confusion and his his uh, his sorrow and give that to God. Uh, that is interesting, Mike. Thanks for that. And, and we often use the music, your music, on this program mm-hmm. to really set the tone for the program. This song that you're going to sing for us now, the bass and the towel. I mm-hmm. mean, this is so laden with emotion for me every time mm-hmm. I hear it. Yeah, and this this isn't really a lament, but it 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 comes right out of the life of Jesus. Um, in John 13, um, he prefaces what he does by saying, "He's uh, or John says he's going to show his disciples the full extent of his love. And I ask people, um, that's a lot of love. Mm-hmm. What, the full extent of God's love? Mm-hmm. That's a lot of love, right? Yeah. And uh, yet Jesus can demonstrate the full extent of God's love by doing this menial you know, task of washing their feet. And that in and of itself is a miracle. The Basin and Towel, here's Michael Card, and then we'll meet our guest today. In an upstairs room, a parable is just about to come. Take up the basin and the towel 
Thank you, Michael. Even before I introduce our guest, let me ask Pastor Eric DeVitro if he wants to comment on that song, The Bass and the Towel. Eric? Oh, wow. Well, I think that Mike really embodied the servant's heart. Uh, we've, we've used that song in our church services quite a bit, uh, especially around uh, times of difficulty or struggle. Uh, just a reminder of what it means to serve one another to love one another. So it's it's a great song. We love that song. All right, now let's properly introduce our guest, Michael. <laughs> How do you know Eric? Well, Eric and I have known each other for, for years. He's been uh, encouraging me, uh, not just as a pastor, but as a friend. We've been doing conferences together. Um, you got one coming up in the fall. R- that's right. Uh, and and one of the things I admire most about uh, Eric is he, he is also a scholar. He has a scholar's heart kind of wrapped up in a pastor's calling. And um, I, I go to him with questions. Um, He's also, by the way, a super geek uh, a computer. He can he can do anything with a computer, which is also pretty cool. So, and he plays guitar. I mean, he's just like he's the whole package. So, um, I'm I'm proud to have him uh, on the program. Welcome, Eric. How you doing, buddy? Thanks, Mike. I'm yeah. doing well. Yeah. Tell us about your church, where it is, and a little something about it. Sure. Um, so, I, I pastor a church called Bedford Road Baptist Church, and it's kind of unique. Um, we're in Merrimack, New Hampshire, which is a, a town of about 25,000 between two towns of 100,000, 200,000. It's a bedroom community, but um, our congregation is actually was actually formed through bringing two congregations together. Um, I've been here since 2004, and I was in a congregation, uh, what I, I guess we'd call a rescue, um, a congregation that was in trouble, and I came as the pastor, and we we're able to encourage folks and connect people and reach people. And then uh, we found out about this church that had been through a series of issues. And so our whole congregation moved over. And um, through the process of about a year, we, we brought the two churches together and then formed Bedford Road out of it. So it's a, it's a little church. We're about 100 people. And, um, and we, uh, you know, we're, we're just, we just try to do our best to... Uh, be real and love one another and, and love Jesus and, and teach the scriptures. So. Yeah, given those circumstances, I'm sure it was an interesting dynamic to pastor a group like that. Michael, let's talk about the a church of this size and what that's like. Well, I think it's, I think it's ideal. Uh, I, you know, the, the biggest community Jesus creates is 70. So um, I, I, I like the idea of going to a place where uh, you, you can basically know everybody. Uh, and no one can hide. Uh, I was at a, a church of about 4,000 for 20-some-odd years, and we had multiple services, and I had left. I hadn't been there in three or four years, and people would say, oh, I go to, I go to church with you. I said, well, no, you don't. Oh, no, I go to I know Christ Community. I go, no. They thought I went to another service. See, that doesn't happen mm-hmm. in Eric's church. If you don't show up, you're going to get a call from someone who says, hey, are you okay? Eric, is that what it's really like? Yeah, um, I mean we have uh, we have a, a, a leadership community of elders and and team leaders, and we're able to connect to people pretty well. We're actually in um, 
the last three years or so, we've been in kind of a growth curve, and so we've we're actually in the middle of trying to adapt a little bit to being bigger than a hundred. For the longest time, we were smaller than that, and like Mike said, everybody was connected to everybody, and that wasn't in a negative sense. We work very hard to make sure that the relationships are real and connected, and of course, primarily centered on our love for Christ. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's hard to it's hard to not show up and not and have nobody notice. Yeah, somebody's going to notice. But how do you deal with the expectation that you're going to grow? You should grow. Well, I think there's a lot of kinds of growth, and and uh, I get asked that question quite a bit. Um, there there are different kinds of growth, and some are good and some are bad. Uh, somebody one time said to me, "Well, if a church is healthy, it'll keep growing." I said, "Well, that's that's true of a church. It's also true of a virus." <laughs> um, so, so there are good kinds of growth, and there are bad kinds of growth, and and I think that also there are um, there are different kinds of the, the scriptures talk about a diversity of gifts amongst pastors, especially in Ephesians, um, and uh, and different kinds of leaders, and some people are built to lead large churches, and then there are a whole bunch of us who are not built to lead large churches who have. Um, if I'm being honest, sometimes struggle with the sin of envy of looking at these big churches and saying, I want that, um, and losing out on what God really wants to do with them. So it's, you know, we, we manage the expectations. Um, we also, we have a, a ministry model uh, that we call ministering open-handed, which is the idea that we don't have to do everything. Um, we're a part of the church in New England, in New Hampshire. We're not the church. Uh, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And so so if somebody says, well, I would really like to do this ministry or that ministry, we'll often identify another congregation that's doing that and say to them, hey, there's nothing wrong with you partnering with them and connecting with them and, um, and having that kind of focus and openness to, uh, this isn't about building a kingdom in Merrimack, New Hampshire, it's about building the kingdom yeah. um, in the region. Yeah, Mike and Eric, I, I used to have this uh, a similar battle in radio because it would always measure radio by the number of listeners you mm-hmm. have. And I always said it's more how deep are we going into that listener's life right. to make them more like Christ. So that That's that's the key measurement. Yeah, and, and something you said uh, made me realize, Eric, I mean, the vast majority, the vast majority of pastors are pastoring churches of around 100 or you know, around that area. I mean, how many mega church pastors are there? Right. You know, uh, yeah. but yet that that somehow becomes the 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 model. Mm-hmm. There's just something skewed about that. Yeah, well, I think it's. I, I think there's a healthy desire to grow, but but you you know, I, I mean, now now I'm I'm five foot four, so I guess I have appreciation for small things. <laughs> um, but but it's it's a matter of it's a matter of you know, like you said, we look at people easy look at it's easy to look at numbers and radio and business, um, you know, size of a company and everything. But some of us look at it differently. Um, I look at it in terms of how are people um, in their connections with one another, how are they moving toward Christ? Our our vision statement and we say that vision is um is an image of the future in the mind of God that we are given a chance to glimpse. Mm. And um, our vision statement is creating environments where people encounter Jesus and journey together. Hmm. And that actually came out of, um, not that not, it just occurred to me that this just came out, but it actually came out of something that Mike said when he was working on the Scribbling in the Sand, Scribbles in the Sand project, uh, about creating a space and time where people meet Jesus. Hmm. And, um, and that's really kind of been our dynamic. It's been, this is what we do, and... Whatever Jesus does in that, that's great because we believe He'll equip us to handle it. Um, but uh, we're not intentionally going out to build something big. We want to build what Christ is calling us to build. By the way, you may be five foot four, but I'm told we shouldn't mess with you. Now we've not <laughs> met personally, but uh, what, do, what do you mean by that, Mike? That. Yeah, no, I do. I do martial arts, but okay. but uh, uh, not punching, kicking, breaking people's okay. bones. All right, that's unbecoming of a pastor, I guess. Yeah, that, that, it makes poor sermon illustration. <laughs> but people listen, boy. They do not. You don't. You don't want to fall asleep in Eric's church. That's true. <laughs> so, what are some of the joys you experience pastoring a smaller congregation like that? Well, we have um, we have an opportunity. First and foremost, I think 
we have an opportunity to minister to families um, in a in a holistic way, um, but also those that are outside of families. So, um, in our congregation, if 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 we lose somebody, we lose somebody. It's not just somebody that doesn't show up to church. Um, hmm. We have, uh, in fact, today is the anniversary of of losing one of our musicians six years ago, and everybody remembers. Um, you know, everybody knows. Hey, this was a guy who contributed to us, and. And so there's a connection there. Um, we just sent out a, a family that had been on our, minute, our leadership team for a while to help another church plant in the town over. And everybody's still saying, you know, hey, how are, hey, how are Steve and Cheryl doing? You know, how's that church plant? We, we have an investment. And, and that's a joy to me because uh, I'm a pastor's kid. I, drew up, I grew up in church, and, and I saw people who just kind of came and did church on Sunday morning but didn't want anything to do with anybody else. And, mm. And um, and the idea that we've built something that God has has infused with um, His priority, which His priority has always been to you know to connect to people. I mean, go all the way back to the Garden of Eden with with Adam and Eve, and and He says He he's, comes looking for them, um, you know, and, and even the church. So so that brings me joy. I mean, that's that's what what really for me it, it works. I get to see people journeying, and yeah, that's um, I get to see them by name. I get to see kids grow up and go off to college and get married and all that stuff. And yeah. It's like a big extended family. That's so good. Uh, Mike, just before you jump in, I, I'm still trying to absorb the fact that here's a church of 100 who's sending out people to plan another church. Well, that's what that's what healthy churches do, no matter how big they are. And the other thing that they do, and I, I see this overseas, I see this in China, they send their best people out. I mean, re- respond to that, Eric. I mean, don't don't isn't oh. that what you do? No, we definitely, yeah, we definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's what whatever God leads. But the family that that left, we really we he was on our elder committee and um, our elder team, and we for months before they actually decided to leave, he kept asking me, he kept saying to me, "Give me a reason to stay. Give me a reason <laughs> wow. to stay." Wow. Yeah. And and uh, you know, ultimately, we sat down and just said, you know what we can't think of a reason that you couldn't go help them. And mm. as much as we'll miss you and your wife. And, uh, you know, so it was a sad day, but at the same time, it's a joy because it's like, it's like when your kids, I mean, when your kids have kids and, and my daughter's not old enough for that yet, but, um, you know, and you're, you're able to say, Hey, you know, this is, this is the next generation. So, yeah. And, um, yeah. So people, I mean, with expectation that churches are going to be larger than a hundred, then they have expectations about programs that church offers, mm-hmm. things that you know churches do. I mean, how do you decide what to do and what not to do? Uh, well, I say I say no a lot, which which hurts because I don't like to say no to people. But uh, but we we've always been very upfront with people about the limitations we have, um, and uh, one of the things that that is extraordinary, I think, for us, is our little church has had, and um, we've had Mike in to do Biblical Imagination Conferences, I think, five times since 2013, and uh, we had Steve Green sing here, and and because we do so little, we're able to do things, I think, better, um, and so we tell people, look, you can you can do lots of things badly and get exhausted and do lots of things mediocre or you can do one or two things and do it very well. And, um, and so that's, that's what we've always striven. We've always striven for quality over quantity. And it takes a little while for people to get into that groove. So I think the big thing is that we do the thing that everybody sees well, which is that Sunday morning worship service, our, our, our music is always, um, is always, uh, um, deep and wide. So lots of di- we use a lot of different styles of music. Um, we use, but we always seek out scripture, scripturally sound, theologically um, deep songs. And then the message and the teaching, we always try to make sure it's, uh, again, deep, but not, um, people aren't drowning. They're drawn in and they want to enjoy it and engage it. And then in the process, they realize, ah, this is, this is what, what God has got for us. And and then some folks really want the programs, and we minister open-handed, so they go to another church. We'll even point them to a church that has a program they like, um, that they feel they need. Mike, you've been there several times yeah. with Biblical Imagination Conferences. What's it like for you? 
Well, after you've done this as long as I've done it, I mean, this is my 40, 40 almost 40th year. Uh, when you hit the door, you can tell if it's a healthy church or not. And from the very first time uh, I was with Eric, when you got there, I mean, it, every single person in the church, of course, obviously they know you're an outsider. You're you're not yeah, a regular. Yeah. You, know, you don't belong here. You're not one of the one. <laughs> yeah. Why are you here? Uh, no, but uh, I, I, immediately, uh, we, you know, we would have coffee downstairs or we, we'd have a fellowship time. Um, and it, any conceivable need that anybody on our team had, there was somebody at your elbow the whole time. And I mean, any any sort of need that we, we might have had. And um, yeah, you you could just tell when you hit the door. It's a healthy the the it's a healthy body, and um, and there's an openness to hear you know you know what does what does God have for us that you you you've come to give us, and yeah, um, and it really uh, it's it's a it's a wonderful it's mm-hmm. a wonderful place. Eric, I sure appreciate you uh, coming on and describing this to us, um, and thanks for your support of Mike and his ministry. Welcome. Yeah, thanks. We've been we've been blessed by it and uh, had the opportunity to do so much, and um, so we, we're always encouraged when he comes. And we're starting to loop over, so it might be time to write more stuff. But yeah, oh, that's good to hear. <laughs> thanks, Eric. And and we didn't even get we didn't even have time to talk about your crazy father, who oh, is yeah, who is uh, who is awesome. Yes, uh, he is. Yeah. We have we have a minute or so. Oh, Tell me about your dad. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Go. Well, go ahead. You t- you go first. Then I'll. Yeah. So so when Mike was here, I made sure my dad was here. My dad is uh, is a, a very small church, very conservative pastor, um, and uh, but just a guy who. Uh, he he quote the Bible until you tell him to stop. Yeah, and he'll do it in Greek and Hebrew. Yeah, <laughs> incredible st- Septuagint. I had Septuagint questions when I was working on Hesed, and his dad sent me reams and reams and reams of articles. And he had his own computer, you know, analyze, you know, how how many times Hesed was translated this way in Greek. I mean, he just he did all my homework for me. So yeah, yeah okay. your dad and and he's this he's this wonderful quirky genius sort of a guy. So I love. I love so your dad. now we know where Eric gets it, huh? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's quite extraordinary. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Well, I am delighted to have met you on the phone here today, Eric, and maybe I can get over there and see you at Bedford Baptist. Was it Bedford Road Baptist Church? Yep, Bedford Road Baptist. Merrimack, New Hampshire sometime. Yep. So. Well, God bless you. Thanks for giving us some times there, time there, Pastor. I know you're busy. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Let's wrap it up with a song from Michael here in the studio, The Bridge. was a legal-minded man, intellectually inclined. But the facts just seemed to pile up and fester in his mind. So he asked the twisted question, what am I supposed to do? His mind said he should love, but his heart still wondered who. Travel if it ever will be 
The answer's not an answer If it's for the mind alone It's the orchard in the apple seed It's the seed that must be sown It has to do with loving And giving all you have to give And only those who cross the bridge Can ever hope to live Can ever hope to performing his song, The Bridge, here in the studio. We're at the halfway point in this session, and it's our prayer that the conversations that we feature and the music we present will be used by God to encourage you to follow Christ faithfully. If that is your experience, we hope you'll take a moment and let us know. Share your reactions to this podcast on Facebook or use the contact section on our website, michaelcard.com. And if you want to let a friend know about what you found in this podcast, we've made accessing this program as easy as possible. The program audio is updated each week on our website, and we keep several sessions available with all the program details for you to follow up. And you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. You'll find the links at michaelcard.com. In a moment, we'll pick up our continuing study on the topic of lament as we turn to the book of Jeremiah in the studio with Michael Card. Next week, join us for a classic in the studio with Michael Card. We'll start with highlights from a concert in Waukegan, Illinois, where Michael presented songs on the life of Peter. In the second half, Calvin Miller joins us to talk about presenting God's Word in creative ways. And you won't want to miss a special recording of Calvin's story, Marionetta, that includes Phil Kagey on guitar. Watch for the post and share the podcast link. Subscription details at michaelcard.com. Welcome back into the studio with Michael Card. I want to thank those of you who have left a review of this podcast on iTunes or Google Play. That's very helpful. It lets others know about what we are here, what we do, and uh, just attracts listeners. So thanks for doing that. Thanks for passing the word around about this podcast. Yeah, that's that's the primary way that we grow is Mm -hmm. people referring other people. It's uh, not our big advertising budget that does it? I don't think the advertising, it barely covers our uh, our Chick-fil-A for lunch. So <laughs> Now you're giving away all of our secrets. Hey, uh, I've really enjoyed our series. You have been uh, holding uh, Lament Conferences. Uh, you're not doing it presently, but you've done it in the past, right? Well, well they're, they're all mixed up. Sometimes, you know, we'll do a Hesed Conference one day, and then uh, the next month we'll do a Lament. It okay. all depends okay. on what... What we have done in your area before or whatever. But or, in 2014, you did the Lament Conference, mm-hmm. and we've heard um, the Lament uh, programs on Job right. and on two parts on David. Right. Today we get to Jeremiah here in just a moment. Right, and and we'll end up with Jesus, who sort oh, of embodies yeah. all of those things. But um, I enjoy looking at biblical uh, subjects through people. Mm. I mean, even Hesed, I like talking about Moses you know, God reveals Hesed to Moses. He lives it out through David, and again, it's 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 incarnate in Jesus. So, same thing with lament. They're 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 pe- these people that sort of personify it. We've chosen a song to uh, lead into today's uh, conference clip about uh, Jeremiah. The song is "Tears of the World." Yeah, yeah. I think one of the big struggles uh, people have with lament is simply not giving into it. You know, stiff upper upper lip yeah, and yeah. and that to weep. I don't know. Somehow we feel guilty when we lament. Guilty yeah, or yeah. some kind of weakness or I don't I don't know. Uh, there are all, all kinds of bizarre reasons uh, for not doing that. And what this song tries to do is, first of all, state the fact that um, I think the line of the song is, the sum of the sorrow that wraps around the, wor- the world could catch every soul up and sweep it away. The, the, the sheer magnitude of the suffering the tears of the world, uh, the, you know, the tears that the world is weeping now, 
uh, is just unimaginable. And what this song is asking, and it's it's not a lament as much as it perhaps is a, an an invitation to lament. Uh-huh. Let let me be moved by the suffering of the world because most of us just aren't. We live as if um, the world is just fine. I'm okay. You're okay. That sort of nonsense. That's what this song is about. Let let me feel, let me weep some of the tears of the world. Well, we'll hear Michael teach after we hear him sing. In any split second, for moment in time, in the blink that is one single day, The sum of the sorrow that wraps round the world Could catch every soul up and sweep them away As vast as the ocean and as deep as the sea Swept up in one toxic tide Warm salty waves The world weeps its woe So how could it be that My own eyes are dry So open my eyes And open my heart And grant me the gift Of your grieving And awaken in me the compassion to weep Just one of the tears of the world When God walked among us in the fullness of time He wept tears as old as the world Acquainted with sorrow He took up the cup And drank every drop Of the poison that heals So open my eyes And Like Job and David and Jesus, Jeremiah lived in very unsettled times, politically and theologically. Uh, Like Jesus, he is both a priest and a prophet. 
There's a little small window uh, to Jeremiah. We won't go there, but 2 Chronicles 35, 25, you see Jeremiah. Uh, he's chanting, chanting a dirge over Josiah. Josiah is the only king that listened to him. He, his reign, uh, Jeremiah's ministry, was over five kings, and only one of them listened to him. So Jeremiah, kind of a wilderness. But Josiah, and Josiah was the one who listened to him. So in, in 2 Chronicles 35, when Jos, Josiah dies... Jeremiah pronounces a dirge over him, and a reference is made to a book called The Dirges that Jeremiah wrote that we don't have anymore. I think there are about 15 or 20 books that are referred to in the Bible that we don't, we don't have anymore. Uh, if you want to know about his life situation, Habakkuk 1, uh, 5 through 11 is really the life situation of, of Jeremiah. Yeah, what do, you, what do you do when God becomes your enemy? What do you do when the Babylonians, who are the bad guys... God seems to be using them against you. When the city that God has promised will last forever gets destroyed, what are, you, what are you going to do? What do you do? What do you do? You continue that difficult conversation with God by lament. You say to God what needs to be said. It may not be right, but it needs to be said. What do you do when you get cancer? What do you do when, you're, you know, two month old, when your second two-month-old baby dies? And God seems to become your enemy. What do you do? You, you don't leave the dance floor until the music stops. You, you hold on like Job held on and like David held on. Um, and like Jeremiah and Jesus and a lot of others uh, hold on. All of these categories uh, show up in Jeremiah's life as well. Uh, he was born in the wilderness. The last time we were in Israel... We were driving, driving along the bus in the middle of nowhere, and there's this little hill, and our guy said, oh, that's Anatoth. That's the village where Jeremiah was from. I go, yeah, it's just right there on like Highway 3. You know, <laughs> Anatoth. Uh, but he was, he was in the tribe of Benjamin. If you know, Benjamin was the last tribe, the lot, last one to be allotted, and Benjamin had lots of problems. The tribe of Benjamin had lots of problems. So it was a poverty-stricken village, um, his family, his, one of his ancestors was Abiathar, who schemed against Solomon. And as a result, uh, his family was cursed. So Jeremiah comes from a family that was cursed. Uh, not good. And they could never, uh, they could never work in the, in the shrine anymore. That's 1 Kings 2, 26 and following. Uh, it was a political wilderness. Like I said, of the five kings that he served, only one listened to, them, to him, and that was Josiah. Um. Israel was constantly in a state of unrest. Uh, the superpowers, Egypt and Assyria and the Neo-Babylonians were all fighting and Israel was always right in the middle of it. They kept hoping the Egyptians would come and be their buddies, but they let them down. The word hesed happens three times uh, in the book of Jeremiah. It happens one time, I think, in Lamentations. And the way it happens uh, tells, you somewhat, tells you about Jeremiah. The first one is in uh, Jeremiah 9.17-24. through 24. And I love this. Jeremiah says, The one who boasts should boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who shows hesed, justice, and righteousness, for I delight in something. So if you're going to brag about something, brag that you know that God's a God of hesed. Brag about that. That's, that's uh, Jeremiah 9. Jeremiah 31 says, All the families of the earth shall be my people. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have, con I have continued to extend hesed to you. Jeremiah is the one who tells us about the new covenant, uh, the righteous branch that will come, and, and that uh, God's going to make a new covenant, a new covenant with Israel and Judah. Okay, and the last one is 32.16. You show hesed, to thousands, but lay the consequences of the father's iniquities on their sons. That's right out of Exodus 34, 6. God reveals himself as a God of Hesed, but he also says um, that he will visit the consequences of the father's sin on the, the, the second and third generation. Oh, in 33, 11, it's there, it happens four times. 33.11 is the last one. The Lord is good. His hesed endures forever, which is that motto of Israel. That's like, in, in, you know, we have in God we trust. Israel's in God we trust is the Lord is good. His hesed endures forever. It's their national motto. 
His call is in uh, Jeremiah 27 through 18. This is sort of indicative of his entire life. His life was incredible suffering. Uh, 3619 is when he, he brings the scroll and the king cuts it up and throws it in the fire. Which if you're a writer, you understand that is not cool. Uh, this is 19. The officials said to Baruch, and by the way, archaeologists have found the cylinder seal of Baruch. Jeremiah scribe, they found it. How cool is that? How cool is that? They actually found, they think they found Isaiah's seal. So, uh, but Baruch, who is his only friend, they found his, 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 you know, the stamp that he puts things on. The official said to Baruch, you and Jeremiah must hide and tell no one where you are. Then after de- depositing the scroll in the chamber of Elishama, the scribe, the officials came to the king at the courtyard and reported everything in the hearing uh, of the king. Uh, let me scoot on down to uh, 19. Uh, let me do, I'll go to 2022. Since it was the ninth month, the king was sitting in the winter quarters with a fire burning in front of him. He's got a big pot that's got a fire in it. As soon as Yehudi would read three or four columns, Jehoiakim, who's the king, would cut the scroll with a scribe's knife and throw the columns into the fire. So Jeremiah, here's this word from the Lord, and the king reads three or four columns and he cuts it off and just throws it away. Uh, 24. As they heard all these words, the king and all of his servants did not become terrified or tear their clothes. See, you're not going to listen. Even though, uh, then there's a name of all these guys that I can't pronounce, uh, had urged the king not to burn the scroll, he did not listen to them. Then the king commanded Jeremiel, the king's son, uh, Sariah, son of Az- Az- Azrael, and Shelemiah, son of Abdeel, to seize Baruch, uh, the scribe Baruch, and the prophet Jeremiah, but the Lord hid him. And basically what happened is God says, okay, write it all over again. So he writes all of that again, everything that got burned up. In Jeremiah chapter 2 and 3, God laments through Jeremiah. Uh, in Jeremiah 4, Jeremiah laments. So God laments through Jeremiah to the people. Jeremiah laments on his own. And then Jeremiah laments for the people to God. He's sort of this intercessor uh, of lament. And most of his books, I mean, certainly Lamentations, but uh, most of his prophecies have that element of, of lament. He's the weeping prophet, Jeremiah. He's the one who, who, who uh, he prophesies the destruction of Jerusalem, but then he lives to see it. He actually uh, saw the city destroyed. So he, he's, he's, he's the prophet that was destroyed by what he prophesied. So Jeremiah is unique in that. And I do think it's fascinating that in Matthew 16, they think Jesus is Jeremiah. I think that's really interesting. I think it's partly because he did weep as much as he did, but I also think it's because Jesus prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem too, just like Jeremiah did. Uh, Lamentations is a collection of poems. There are five different poems that are all brought together. Most of them are alphabetic they're, or acrostic. They're set up you know, by alphabet. And five isn't. The last one isn't. The first uh, section uh, is a lament for Jerusalem. The second is the prophecy of uh, the, the judgment on Jerusalem. It, it, it's called the He Has. He has done this. He has done that. He has done that. It's the He Has poem. He has lament. The theme of three is there is still hope because of God's hesed. Uh, and in, in verse 22 of that lament, Jeremiah starts lamenting his own personal lament. In four, we have uh, the lament from the siege. And we have, in verse 10 of chapter 4, is the darkest verse in the Bible. The hands of compassionate women boiled and ate their children. You know, we read these things and we sit in class and we write our notes. We have no idea of the depth of suffering that we're, you know, where we're from. I mean, what's happening in Syria now, you know, is a, a little taste of it. But yeah, the hands of compassionate women and we know that uh, we know from um, a Josephus. Josephus tells a story uh, during the siege of Jerusalem about a woman. I think her name was Elizabeth, who cooked her baby, and she offered it to some of the soldiers, and they just walked away shivering because it was just so 
horrific. And then um, five, chapter five is a prayer. It concludes with a prayer for restoration. But the turn is in chapter three. If your Bible is set up like mine, it shows all of the Hebrew letters. So I'm looking at 322. Uh, I'm going to start at 319. Remember my affliction and my homelessness, the wormwood and the poison. I continually remember them and have become depressed, yet I call this to mind. That was Vav. That's verse 21. Yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's chesed, we will not perish, for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. That's the turn um, that we see in all of the Psalms of Lament, and it's even here in this book uh, of, of Lamentations. And a little bit later, there in verse same, same chapter, verse 32, we have this idea of being uh, forgiving and showing compassion according to uh, Hesed. Hesed occurs in verse 20, uh, 32. And behind the destruction of, uh, of both destructions of Jerusalem is a concept the scholars call it actualizing. It's a very important concept to understand. Uh, and the idea is this, when God allows the Babylonians to destroy Jerusalem, and then when he allows in 70 AD the Romans to destroy Jerusalem, he's only actualizing something that had already taken place. And Jeremiah is very clear about this. Uh, the temple had already become a desolation before it got burned down in both, in both uh, cases, especially in Jesus' day. When Jesus tears up the temple, no one tells him he did the wrong thing because the temple was bankrupt. It was morally bankrupt in Jesus' day. The, 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 the Romans appointed the high priest. You know, what, what used to be a lifetime appointment usually lasted for about a year. The Romans swapped out the high priest sort of at their, at their pleasure. The fact that Caiaphas was high priest for like 14 years and Annas, was, his father-in-law, was high priest for 12 or 14 years shows that they had made a deal with the Romans. So when Jesus tears up the temple... He's only doing, he's only actualizing, right? The temple had been destroyed a long time ago. He's just actualizing it. And in 70 AD, the Romans are going to do it. And in six, in the, in the uh, fifth century, in Jeremiah's time, God was just actualizing that the temple had already become a desolation long before Nebuchadnezzar got there in 586. Job sits before his demolished life and his dead children. David sits before his demolished kingdom and his dead nameless son, Jeremiah sits before the ruins of Jerusalem, and um, with Jesus we stand before the ruins of the cross. That's sort of where you left. You're left. God, our God is a God of Hesed, right? He created us. We're created in His image, right? Okay. Uh, if I take two C tuning forks and I bang one on the table and hold it next to the one I didn't bang, it'll start to resonate. It's called sympathetic resonance. It's in physics. Okay. That's why we sing. I sing in, in sort of in the, in, in, the, in the presence of Hesed or under the influence of this word Hesed or this concept because I was, there's something in me that resonates at that frequency because I was created in God's image. So I think that specifically Hesed makes me sing for the better, for the good or the better, for lament or for praise because of I was created in God's image. But I also think that uh, we, we, lament takes the form of music because music, music is the, one of the most fundamental parts of us. You know, it's the only thing we share with animals. Animals sing and we sing. Birds sing and we sing. Whales sing and we sing. So it's the only thing we share with animals uh, because it's so basic and so fundamental to us. And so I think that's when, when we're tearful or, or hurtful, um, we respond with songs and poems. Uh, I think it's because that's how we were, cre- we were created to do that. My Angelou, you know, her poem, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings. Uh, see, without your wound, where would your power be? It's our woundedness. That, that's where songs come from and sermons come from. The good ones. Kindness, gentleness, tender, ardent, zeal, endless graciousness, 
dependable and real. Pity, piety, patient, sure, and true. Goodness, faithfulness, ancient, ever new. song from Michael's new CD to the kindness of God recorded live at a biblical imagination conference. We're coming to the close of this session. If you need to listen to this program again or have missed a recent program, just look for past sessions online. Find the podcast links, get more details about Michael's ministry at michaelcard.com. And we hope you'll join us next week as we open our session archives and present a classic broadcast recorded at the Mole End Studio. Now for all of us on the team, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for listening to this edition of In the Studio with Michael Card.